0: Welcome to the Vine Life podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Ace, I uh, I heard Jim mentioned at least twice, if not three times, dotted around the room. So uh, good to see we're we're on trend, guys. But um, we, uh, yeah, we're we're going to take the next few weeks um, thinking about this whole idea of um, overflow. Uh, it's just John and I were chatting before Christmas and we were just thinking about um, some stuff we might want to look at. And uh, John really thought the word overflow was something that, uh, that we should spend a few weeks digging into. And uh, it feels really relevant, especially in the context of stuff like resolutions, because um, a lot of those things are, are great. Um, and I'm sure God can do some really good things through us kind of resetting, rebooting and, and making a bit of a rededication for where we want to go. But I I think the the thing probably where a lot of them get stuck is that it's it's about us, really, isn't it? It's about us trying to change us and kind of um, often thinking about how we can be different and and the stuff that we can bring. And and that is really great. But um, what is awesome is that we don't have to do stuff on our own. We actually, we get to do it with God, of all people. Like, what a ridiculous thing that the creator of the heavens and the earth is with us and in us and is working through us and actually invites us to do life with him and in response to him. So actually, what better time of year um, as, as everyone else is thinking about how do I change stuff to think about what's God doing and how can I join him with that? And so we're hoping that over the next few weeks, we're thinking about um, uh, how what, what this kind of overflow, abundant kingdom life looks like. Um, for us as, as people, um, individually, for us corporately. We're also um, going to do a fun thing in a couple of weeks where we think really specifically about worship in a corporate gathering and how that relates to overflow and what that could look like. So um, it's going to be going be a fun few weeks taking us into the weekend away. But um, I'm just going to pray and then we'll, we'll crack on with what I feel like God uh, wants to share with us this morning. Father, thank you that, that you are abundant. Father, thank you that that you're with us and you're for us. And Jesus, we just want to continue that um, place that we've been in from worship where we're putting you in your rightful place, putting you on your throne and saying that, um, that you are God, you are Lord, you are King, you are our Saviour. God, and we want to orientate our lives around you, especially at this this time of newness and new starts. Help us to know the freedom of doing it all in response to you yeah in jesus name amen so um so overflow when, when i think of overflow i think of um abundance uh you know just the it feels like a liquidy kind of word doesn't it um i'm sure you can use it in other contexts but that sense of there being so much of something it's kind of like pouring out over the top or just overwhelming and and that um that idea of abundance, of more than enough, of no limits, of all these kind of things—like, that's that's the kingdom of God. That's that's the kingdom that we're called to be part of. That, that actually there isn't there isn't restriction, there isn't a lack of resource. There is there is everything that we need and more, and and just that, that kind of wonderful picture of just sort of flowing. And and so um, there's there's so many aspects to it, but I wanted to think this morning a little bit about an aspect of an overflowing life, and uh, in particular, thinking about these, these ideas of, of thankfulness and trust, which will become apparent as we move through. But I just wonder, even just, um, just take a moment, just to reflect on yourself, like, when you hear the phrase of, like, an overflowing life, get past the fact it's quite a sort of cheesy Christian cliche, like, um, who do you picture as someone that has an overflowing life, like someone that you know, Maybe not necessarily someone that you've seen on TV or wherever, but someone that you know maybe in your life now or has been previously, what does an overflowing life look like? Just, um, just even just think what, what, m- what makes it so, what was overflowing about them? And, and just, um, yeah, I wonder if, if that might help kind of get you in the mindset about, um, about what this kind of thing could look like because often it's easy to think of things as concepts and ideas, but actually like who are the people that we've seen living this out? Who are the people that we know day to day kind of have this posture of overflow? And uh, and maybe just um, later on when you're having coffee, just have a little chat with someone and be like, oh, who is who is your overflowing person that that we can learn a little bit from? But like I said, it it, it feels like a liquidy kind of word, um, and and the Bible is full of imagery around water, isn't it? You, you barely turn a page without there being something around water, and that sense of kind of wellsprings and cleansing and freshness and newness. And, and it just kind of speaks of, um, of the activity of the kingdom of God as this kind of flow of water. And that reaches its culmination, as everything does, in Jesus, who described himself as living water. Um, twice in John, he described himself as living water. We're just going to look quickly at both of those passages. Uh, the first one comes in John 4. Very famously, he's, he's talking to the woman at the well. And uh, um, we'll just read it out. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And I feel like even even reading this passage just feels a bit refreshing, doesn't it? You just almost got to get a little little taste of that, and and then, and obviously Jesus is is um, contrasting himself with the physical water that the, the woman's drawing, and and this kind of uh, like static thing that, that she's going to need need to keep coming back to. And he's like, oh, actually, I'm I'm the better version of this. Um, and like you're after something that will quench your physical thirst, but I'm going to quench your the deepest desires of your heart. And not only that, you're going to have to keep coming back here. You're going to have to keep coming back here. But with me, actually, there's no there's no separation. There's no distance between the source of the refreshment and the person enjoying it. And, and isn't that just an exciting picture of what it could look like to live with with Jesus? And then just a few chapters later, he, he says it again. Um, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 37. Uh, On the last day, the climax of the festival... This was the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, And on the final day of the feast, they would do this ritual with water, which was basically all about kind of um, asking God to bless their crops and and bless the water that they would need in the coming year. Uh, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered His glory. And again, it's just Jesus is contrasting Himself. It's like you, you, there's all this chat about water, and we recognise that this is—you know—we're in a hot country. We need water. We need to—we and sort of we need to do everything we can to make that happen. But he's just like I'm, he's like I'm the better water. Like I'm the thing that will truly satisfy you. And so even in the midst of scarcity, even in the midst of challenge, even in the hot place, dry place, uh, you know, where water isn't guaranteed, even in that scarcity, Jesus is saying that he is abundance. He is ultimately what truly satisfies. And um, I think we would probably all be able to say, you know, if someone asked the question, you know, Bible quiz, uh, what truly satisfies in life? Jesus is the answer. And uh, But the reality is, Probably how we live day to day is 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 less true in that regard because life's hard and we're all on, we're all on a journey. We're all in process. And so I just w- wanted to spend a little bit of time today um, looking at a chapter in Jeremiah, which I think will um, potentially bring a little bit of challenge, but also I think help us to actually think about how we can be people that are living in the overflow of the living water that Jesus offers. So we're going to Jeremiah 2 and starting in verse nine. Uh, just a, li- a little bit of context. Um, Jeremiah is set in a place where there's it's unstable for God's people. So um, eventually, the people of Judah will be taken off into exile, but at this point, it, it hasn't happened. And so, but there's a lot of instability. Israel has been exiled, the Northern Kingdom, and so um, they're in this posture where they're looking around them at what's going on, like not quite sure what the future holds, and so they are um, sort of seeing what other people are doing, seeing what their neighbors are up to, seeing what is else is in the culture, and trying to grasp onto anything and anything, everything that will just give them a little bit more certainty in times that feel unsure, which um, is probably something that a lot of us can relate to in lots of ways at the moment. But uh, in Jeremiah 2, starting from verse 9, uh, therefore, I bring my case against you, says the Lord. I will even bring charges against your children's children in the years to come. Go west and look into the land of Cyprus. Go east and search for the land of Kedar. Has anyone heard of anything as strange as this? Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones? Even though they are not gods at all. Yet my people have exchanged their glorious gods, their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. It's that um, verse thirteen in particular, I want to focus on. For my people have done two evil things: they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So it's interesting, I think, <clears throat> how that Jeremiah points out there's two errors, and they kind of they feel like the same error, but actually I think it's an important distinction because it, it's almost like two phases of it. The first is that. People have neglected Jesus as their living Well, they didn't know it was Jesus at this point. But they have neglected God as the source of their living water. And <clears throat> probably, you know, it is something that, that would be familiar to us. You know, like you maybe even just hearing those passages from John, you're like, oh, yeah. Now, maybe I haven't been drawing living water from Jesus. And, and it, it's probably quite easy for us to recognize that, oh, yeah, I could do that more. I could be more connected to Jesus. I could, I could recognize him more as the source. But I think it's that, that second error that's, that's especially interesting. It's like, not only have we not recognized Jesus as the source of living water, but he, um, Jeremiah says, you've dug for yourselves cracked cisterns. So not only have you not come to God for it, but you've actually tried to do the equivalent yourself, and shock horror is worse. <laughs> it, doesn't, like, it doesn't work. Like A cistern that's cracked isn't particularly efficient. So, um, thanks, mate. <laughs> I think I'll pour it over the microphone. <coughs> I assume this wasn't for me and not an offering to... Like, <laughs> <coughs> so the two errors are they've, they've neglected Jesus and they uh, they've replaced him with something else. And I think... <coughs> The challenge for us is um, not just being like, oh, yeah, I could use more of Jesus, but to actually start to get a bit honest about what we might have replaced him with. Because uh, I think often, particularly in a sort of more comfortable culture that we live in, uh, we're used to sort of things on our own terms. We used to sort of a bespoke kind of existence, and we can do that spiritually almost, where we get into this rhythm of, oh, if I get just enough of the good stuff, that will keep me going, and I'll just carry on living the rest of my life, kind of no different to anyone else, really. And so, whether that is church on a Sunday, whether that's you know daily quiet time, whether that's um, times of worship, whatever it is, it's almost like there's there's enough to keep us going, so that we're still there, but we're not we're not really like fully immersed in that overflow and um and it's it's stupid really like for me um i do this really specifically when it comes to drinking actual water it's quite interesting you brought me a cup of water and i just don't drink enough water and uh and it's weird because I don't know why like I like the taste of water and um but I can especially in the winter, I can quite easily go a whole day without having a glass of water because I'll like have a cup of tea for my breakfast, and maybe I might have had some water with lunch, but it's a bit cold, so I'd quite like that hit of some more tea or coffee at lunch and and I might have a beer with dinner and and then and it's just nuts but actually. I find, you know, like when you're trying to stay up late and people might have coffee or Monster or whatever, uh, like if I just drink some water, it's like I'm taking, a, you know, that guy from Limitless and I can do anything. And, it, and it, it's just stupid. Like, why, do I, why don't I just drink water? But, um, yeah, we, we often, I think we do that spiritually. Like, we have this, this fountain of life-giving um, spiritual refreshment that Jesus offers to us that flows constantly and yet, for whatever reason, we tried to dig cisterns. Um, I'm going to jump down to verse 26. Uh, in chapter 2 of Jeremiah still. Israel is like a thief who feels shame only when he gets caught. They, their kings, officials, priests, and prophets are all alike in this. To an image carved from a piece of wood, they say, you are my father. To an idol chiseled from a block of stone, they say, you are my mother. They, they turn their backs on me, but in times of trouble, they cry out to me, come and save us. But why not call on these gods you have made? When trouble comes, let them save you if they can, for you have as many gods as there are towns in Judah. And I think the obvious challenge here is, is what have we created in our life that we want to save us? What do we look to in the day to day that we actually think this is the thing that's going to bail us out? This is the thing that's going to help us. It could be all sorts. It could be could be our theology. It could be what we what we think about God. It could be finances, making sure that we're that everything everything works and it's going to be okay. It could be systems around us. It could be like you know the, the government will protect us if, or the right kind of government will protect us. It could be stuff that's a, a lot closer to home. You know, those things that we bring into our lives to to escape or to numb or to to do whatever. Often it can be really good stuff. You know, like family or friends. Like if you know, if if relationships ju- were just right, then 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 I'd be okay. And um, maybe it's or like fun. Like if I just I just did enough stuff that I enjoyed, then that's gonna that's gonna get me through, and that's the thing that's gonna save me. Or, like if I just do enough, enough of the good stuff, if I just help out enough people doing enough volunteering then, then then that will look after me. Dare I say it might it even be church like if we can just get church right, then then we'll be okay. but I think um what I feel like god was was prodding me about with all this stuff is actually like when you think about. Um, whether it's the image of a cistern, whether it's the, the image we h- see in these later verses of you know, like a, a literal wooden idol that the, um, the guys built and, and sort of prayed to. Like, w- what is it about those things that actually might um, help us today? And so I think the first thing is, is they're man-made. So uh, the cistern, the idol, the whatever, it's something that was humanly created, therefore humanly controlled and defined, defined, by, the people, defined by the people that made it. And so much of our life is like that, isn't it? It's stuff that we control, we create, we make, and, and we like that. And uh, the the second thing is actually, um, when I think about the system, I see not so much today because our systems are plumbed in, but um, the system, the idol, it's, it's static, whereas the spring, whereas the relationship with God is dynamic. And actually, that, that static stuff is, you know, it's stuff that we've made and that we use and, again, that we control. And, like, and quite often, God just totally picks that apart, doesn't he? He's like, can they hear you? And like, you know, when, um, with the prophets of Baal, like, oh, maybe he's asleep. Maybe, maybe he's just busy. Maybe he's having a nap. And actually, um, but so often we have learned that stuff that we know that we control, that we make. And it, it might look pretty. It might even work well. Um, but actually, there's no life, there's no genuine life in it outside of that life that we've sort of ascribed to it or placed, projected onto it and be like, okay, this pole is going to bring me um, fertility or, or crops or whatever, or this this system is the thing that's going to sort me out. <clears throat> and so kind of in reading this passage, it, it sort of made me a bit, dis- a bit despondent because it's just, oh, is there anything good in my life? Like, could I even have a chocolate bar without it sort of feeling like, oh, this is an idol, this is, like, a source of comfort, Did, like, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, like, is is there anything in my life that isn't, like, defiled, basically? Um, but I think the fundamental difference between something being, um, a sp- like, f- from a spring or something being from a cistern is all about the source. Like, is it something that ultimately you've filled up yourself, that you've done the hard work for? Or is it something that comes to you from elsewhere? Because the spring of living water, that is Jesus, comes from heaven by his spirit. It's from God and it flows to us. And so uh, I think the way that we can sort of stop tying ourselves up in knots and just thinking, ah, there's there's nothing that I can't do is is by thankfulness. I think the the first key is, is thankfulness. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So I think we can take every good thing in our life and actually, and and, and if we recognize the source of it, if we recognize and say that actually this thing is from God, I think that helps us um, not fall into that trap of whether these good, kind of normal, everyday, even beautiful things could potentially become the things that we rely on. And look to save us, but actually with thankfulness, we recognize that they're from God and we're able to receive them as a gift from him and enjoy them as he intended. And I can have my chocolate bar again and I can have I can have a beer with my dinner and it's going to be OK because um, I'd like, God, thank you for this thing. But I think as well, whether it's whether it's things that are like substantially different or whether it's just stuff that maybe has developed from being this kind of thing of convenience or need to actually this thing of reliance. Um, we, do also have, we do also probably have idols in our life, you know, um, and there are things that we need to actually remove. Like quite often when we think we see in scripture the sort of revivals that happen within the people of Israel, they were told to go and tear down their idols. And so I wonder at this point, yes, are there things in your life that you need to get better at saying thank you for? But also are there things that you actually need to, to start to remove and start to put Jesus back in his rightful place? And I think the key with that is trust. Like, do we actually believe that it is Jesus who saves us? Do we actually trust in the sense of putting weight on what God says? Or is it, is it sort of like an academic answer? Is it just a sort of an idea that we know, know the sort of right response to? But do we actually genuinely trust God? Uh, John 14, 6, very famous verse, you'll know it. And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the, can come to the Father except through me. And often this is a verse that's used, you know, in sort of discussing uh, like maybe like religious pluralism or something like, actually, you know, it's all about you can't, there's no other gods you have to trust in Jesus. But what about kind of just every part of our life? Like, is Jesus the way? Is he the truth? Is, is he the life? Are we genuinely trusting in him or is it, or is it other stuff? until that other stuff doesn't work and then we come back to God again. Like is, you know, as the song goes, like is our help, hope built on nothing less other than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Because there's, there's good stuff in our lives that could become cisterns if we're not thankful. And there's stuff in our lives that we're probably looking at to save us that we need to tear those down and put Jesus back in his rightful place. And the key in all those things is, is thankfulness and trust thankfulness and trust. Thanking God for who he is, trusting in his salvation and his work and trusting in his ability and the reality that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The final sort of thought I wanted to share was actually bring it back to this idea of overflow. Because it's... Well, I, I don't know about you, but when I think about overflow feels also almost like it could be this kind of um, this sort of goal that we try and reach this sort of destination that is available to us. And it's almost like, OK, well, if we are basically if we're doing all the right stuff, if we're in the right kind of place with God, if we, we understand him, we're aware of him, we're connected to him, then then there'll be like this flow that we're in that will kind of see all the stuff that we want to see happen in it. And it'll be easy. And it's not that any of that stuff is wrong, because I think it's good, but I just wonder if actually really subtly, we could make something like Overflow, or you could do it with, we could mention it with other things as well, but it, it in itself could become an idol. Like it in itself could become a broken system, that there is this state of um, being a Christian that is the state of overflow, and if I could just get there, then everything would be OK. But rather than being a destination or a goal, like, I think the invitation for overflow is a place to live from every single day, regardless of where you're starting from. Because what is it Jesus said in the Beatitudes? It's the poor in spirit that will be blessed. They are the ones that will be filled. The ones who recognize that they need God. Not the ones who think they've done all the work, everything possible so they could have it all together. So that it could almost create a system of overflow that they can enjoy for themselves. And that's why thankfulness and trust are so important because they're they're not really anything to do with us other than our response. Like God's done the stuff and we recognize him and we respond to him. Whereas quite often we think, okay, well, it's almost like rather than thankfulness and trust, we rely on passion and piety. Like if I could just care enough, if I just cared a bit more, then God would do more stuff. If I was just better, if I just... Stopped doing the bad stuff and did all the good stuff. And, and then, then I'd get to this place of overflow and it'd be amazing. I think passion and, and piety come as a response to what God is doing. But we, we join in, as it were. The surfboard that we get to ride the wave of overflow is thankfulness and trust. Because Jesus is the source and we join in. He initiates, we participate. He then transforms us. He changes us. He sets our hearts on fire. He he gives us causes that we want to suffer for, that we want to give our lives for. He gives us um, a passion for the people around us. He gives us a desire for holiness and right living and the things of his kingdom. But they come as a response to him, not as us trying to do something to get to this place that is whatever, overflow, rest, however you want to describe it. And it's weird because these things that could be really good just really subtly could become these kind of like idols that we make because um, there's stuff that we can see, stuff that we can do, stuff that we can control ourselves. Whereas I think the invitation for God, from God for us at the start of this year is can we be a people of thankfulness and trust and in doing so? Live in overflow. Live in rest. Live in the in whatever whatever kind of picture you want to use. But it is in response to what God has already started, and not necessarily the quality of what we can bring. So, um, so I want to pray. If that's all right, um, and um, yeah, so why don't, you, why don't you guys stand up and let's pray. Jesus, we want to be a people that trust you. Help us to rely on you with everything that we have. God, And we would we be able to start really simply by being thankful for all the good things we see in the world around us? Father, you know our hearts, you know our lives. And we just want to say, um, God, would you search us and know us? And if there are things that we have that we have built into our lives that are, um, whether they're obviously wrong or actually um, feel really good, but um, they're things that we are relying on for the comfort and hope and joy that we know ultimately comes from you, would you help us to realign in a way that is healthy? God, if that's just a little, a little kind of um, shift in perspective, or if maybe that's something more extreme. Would you um would you speak to us and would you lead us and would you guide us? And Jesus, thank you, thank you that you ultimately are the source of all life. And I pray you would you would bubble up within us. You would flow in us and through us. So, yeah, God, just come and speak to us. Come and shape us, I pray. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, bindlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless, and see you soon.